In times like these, being a citizen is a big job. Thank you for joining us to celebrate the virtues of self-rule and the state of our republic. Welcome to the Citizens Prerogative Podcast. This is the voice of your nerdy host, Michael Piscatelli, and we are all graced with the presence of a co-host whose passion for our republic precedes him wherever he goes. My dear friend, the lovely Raymond Wong Jr. Thank you, thank you. I'm so happy to be here and I feel rich with enjoyment. (laughs) This is episode eight of season one and the name of this episode is not creative. That's not the name. The name is Capital and Wealth, which is not creative. (laughs) Today, we're going to talk about some things that go hand in hand, like equal and opposite reactions to something. Um, We're going to talk about wealth and poverty. We're going to talk about capital and labor. And we're going to talk about where to go from here, making sure everyone has a fair shot and a choice. These are not the lightest topics, (laughs) but we'll try to have a little bit of fun as we go through it, uh, if that's at all possible. That's probably all the way on Ray. Sorry, Ray. Uh, As long as you pay me for it, um, because I'm trying to achieve wealth. (laughs) Someday, someday. But our friendship uh, is probably more than enough pay. Back. Oh, that's what I meant. What were you talking about? Wealth and Freak. relationships is where it's really at. Thankfully, I figured that out a long time ago. Uh, makes you happier. Makes the gravity of wealth not destroy you as a person. I hope if I ever get to try it out. <laughs> ah, so let's let's do it. Let's talk a little bit about wealth and poverty. And again, we're season one. We're we're laying out foundations a little bit of uh, standing on soapbox action. And then, of course, we're looking forward to turning the corner and entering season two soon, some point where we're going to be opening it up and having a lot more dialogue conversation with more of America. But in the meantime, something wonderful, wealth and poverty, they go hand in hand. I made a comment to Ray. We were talking about this episode before we started recording as we typically do. And um, I said, you know, absent of uh, like the idea of wealth and poverty, if we were just to be at a default state of being relative to how human beings evolved, we would all live like Native Americans. We we would all live like this animistic, um, respectful, high value system where there's minimal hierarchy we're all living off the land and keeping the land alive and, you know, all that stuff, right? But we invented a few other systems. <laughs> we, you know, we have, we have a whole different system of rule of law. We have property ownership. We have, it's just, you know, an, an entirely different model from anything like that. Right. And what comes along with it is wealth and poverty because you can't have one without the other one is an equal and opposite reaction to the other once you take a bunch of humans of equal capacity you know and and capability to a certain degree to be deployed in a community and you'd start saying well you know more of the resources or assets or wealth will go to 
this one or few individuals, then the rest of us are going to have to sacrifice for that to happen. That just, you know, in, in that scarcity model, it just means everyone else uh, has a little less if some people have more. So if, if we can, you know, I, I want to just say one thing from a, from a historical perspective or an ancient history, if you will, or prehistoric. So, so what drove the two systems? I really like that you talk about the Native American way of life, right? That is, there was, there, so the one thing we have to remember is there was the, the plain, the, the, the North American continent had abundance, okay? And what the originating continent, where, where we all came from, because we all originated from Africa, I know that's really hard to deal with. Um, some people went north and they dealt with limited resources, okay? Europe has limited land. It has limited resources. That level of competition grew this idea of separation of classes. That's the area where there was a scarcity because Europe is, they were, they had resource scarcity. So it forced them to become the best at conducting war and building up societal systems to manage their poverty, right? They had to build all of these structures and systems and war apparatuses to sustain themselves. But meanwhile, the Native Americans were able to sustain a relatively peaceful, and like Michael said, this, this, this joint prosperity. But we have to realize that that became, that's because the abundance as people migrated through the land bridge into North America, they basically came to a land of plenty that did not have a large human population there. Essentially, that abundance kind of lent itself. So just again, as we dive into this conversation, understand that these two constructs were developing side by side. There was one key difference. One side had that abundance. And that's the thing is America has abundance now, but what are we doing with it? Exactly. What a great, what a great frame <laughs> for the discussion, especially around wealth. And wealth is a topic we're talking about because poverty is more rampant. It's more available. It's more accessible. Anybody can see it. It's out in the open. It's on TV. Wealth, wealth is hidden. Wealth exists where we don't really know. I mean, everybody thinks they know somebody who's rich, but you probably don't know anybody who's wealthy. And there is a difference. There's a difference between rich and wealthy. I mean, all of these things. Poverty is more obvious because it's the opposite end of the scale. But let me just clarify a little bit about what it means to be wealthy. First, the easiest part of the definition is you don't have to work for money. Money, if it's a motivating factor in your life, it's because you're competitive and that number means something relative to your life, your lifestyle, or, your, or within your caste system. It doesn't, you're not worried about eating, you're not worried about paying your bills. You, you, your bills are all paid for. Like you, you mint money, you net money in your sleep. That is a wealthy person. That is, that is more than freedom, I think, to a certain degree. 
because it can be above the law. You can be like with a certain level of wealth. You don't really even have to call any particular country your home. So let's just stop there because I want to talk about what wealth is not. It's not necessarily the CEO of a company, not unless I think back to, I think it was Vikram, Vikram Pandit. I, someone will have to keep me honest there, but there is a former CEO, I think of Citigroup back after the financial crisis. And he's like, oh, I'm just going to work for a dollar a day or no salary, no salary. You know, I'm like, oh, well, then that means maybe you're wealthy. Maybe you are wealthy. You, you decided just to go to work because it's something that maybe you feel like you need to do, you want to do. He liked running Citigroup. He felt like maybe he can save Citigroup and he's not even going to take a salary to do it. That's interesting. But make no mistake, these CEOs and, and anybody in a corporate world, anybody who's getting a paycheck is on a W-2 payroll as an employee, is a, is, is a part of the labor force labor. If you're a W-2 employee, you're, you're a labor. And as far as wealth is concerned, if you're working for money, your hours are tied to a dollar amount, you're not wealthy. If you're wealthy, you don't have to work. Those dollars come regardless. Sleep two days if you want. The money still comes. So not being beholden to that job. So they, they tend to be the people who own the most things. I mean, wealthy people just have money everywhere. It tends to be invested in businesses and in, in assets, states, all kinds of places. But it's just this group of people at the top of the caste system that uh, have more freedom than anybody else. And you don't see them, right? Michael, you don't see them. I think that's the problem is that our system has actually lowered the bar for all of our mental states because we're so fragile as Americans. So we, all, we all see the movie stars and the, and the entertainment industry and our media stars. We, we all think, wow, they make so much money. They are so rich and they have wealth and oh <laughs> right. my gosh, but yet they fall out of the system all the time, completely broke. And we say, well, they didn't manage their money or they made these mistakes. The truth is that they are not, they are part of, they are like us. They are part of this labor force that is not really, they're not wealthy. They are making $15 million a film. Well, guess what? There is someone who sat down and did nothing and made way more money than anybody else on that set. I guarantee it. There was someone who had the wealth, who had the assets, who controlled that segment of a business empire that is just collecting the chips. And as we sit back here thinking the top of the echelon is 15 million for one movie, um, it's actually ridiculously high. Uh, but it's purposeful, right? You keep your public kind of naive, if you will. 100% they will, have done, and will continue to do if we allow it. <laughs> oh, ignorance is uh, the cheapest means of control. I think, and one last point, once you realize that these media folks are the exact same as you, once you realize that the Kardashians are, are no better, we just record the best parts of their lives. And I'm sorry, we don't usually drop names here, but they are a propaganda machine that I seek to uh, destroy. Uh, but the, that sort of mentality and idealism 
is is not real and their lives are the same as yours just move the decimal point just move the scale and frankly you probably have real stress and real troubles in your life because you are not a laborer at the higher end you're probably closer to that poverty right so they're closer their labor is much higher compensation level but again you're aspiring to reach them and meanwhile there's people even higher than all of us pulling these strings i don't think they even have true wealth no no and that also raises an interesting point just to hark it back to the media a little bit you know one of those slice and dice product machines that is a major media company has people with their own shows that are trust fund babies that are basically using that mouthpiece because they're terrified they're looking over the wall from their castle you know and they're terrified that people might wake up and realize uh he's an idiot why does he deserve you know all this money and and also who's giving this person a show to spew all this bs to try and you know divide and conquer so that people can be distracted so that we don't see how little value these people return for what they've siphoned out of our system. To put it diplomatically. You think they would see the writing on the wall, right? Because we have um, all of this uh, social upheaval and that there's, there's now uh, social media and they can't control what people release as much. And it's just, it's a viral load. And it's strange to me that the, 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 the people that are clinging on to power so desperately believe that they can hold on to it, that they're pushing this narrative of, Oh no, we got to get back to normal. And, you know, you know, so, you know, socialism X, Y, Z, and, oh, it's, it's, it's painful. And they use these buzzwords to manipulate us. And the thing is, is like their fathers got away with it and their grandfathers got away with it. So they said, Oh, you just have to do this and you turn the public and be careful, you know, don't let it get out of control. Um, and you got to keep them in their place. Don't give them better compensation. Don't provide them the means to think. Um, so make education expensive, right? So again, it's, it's just stacked against you. Got to build those walls. Got to build that wall garden around things. Otherwise, they have to share it with everybody. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, the idea of wealth. Now, we've got to kind of sh uh, take a different perspective just for a minute because people will be like, oh, well, American exceptionalism or the American dream, you know, uh, we look at those people and think, oh, that's, you know, we want to preserve the way they live in the hopes that that's the way we're going to live someday. But that's... I mean, that's just not real. It's not reality. It's not how the way the system's structured, nor was it ever designed. It was designed like by chance. It's designed like a filtration system. <laughs> by chance, people get through. <laughs> it's not designed to lift you up. It's not designed to give you a floor, right? Uh, you can fall to the ground. You could fall in a hole. Um, you know, there's, it's, it's really just designed for them to be able to, to keep what they have, regardless of whether or not they deserve it. They don't have to answer to anybody. So this is, this is what's tricky about it. It's like, 
back to the point you were making earlier to get on that track about abundance and the fact that we live in a world now where we print money. It's not tied to anything real. There's nothing but abundance. They could share, uh, <laughs> but this system, this structure is not designed for that. It wasn't built with that intent. It wasn't built with the design or model in mind to put humans at the center. It's not a humanist system. It's a capitalist system built by and for wealthy people. This country was. And then the capitalists came. I mean, this country was built on land-owning wealth, very different than capital wealth. So let me just pause really quick because I'm about to switch gears. There is abundance. There's plenty of money. We print it all the time. The scarcity of money is not the problem. And we're not going to talk about it. We're not going to talk about redistribution. None of that matters right now. That's not the point. The point is first, everyone, we need to get on the same page about this idea that there's more than enough. So why does it make sense? Why are some people many times smarter, brighter, worth more, return more value? Honestly, there is no case. There is no logical, cogent argument to be made that Ray's favorite person, Bezos, or any other name you might throw out there, there is no legitimate reason why they are X times more valuable than everybody else. And there is a psychology that occurs with money and wealth. Ray mentioned gravity earlier. I think it's a really apt way to describe it. Money has gravity. Gravity warps everything. Black holes warp space-time. They bend light. Gravity is one of the most powerful things that we know of in, in the observable universe. And money has gravity. It warps everyone. Golem is not a story just to tell a story about greed. Um, it warps people. Berkeley's done studies, okay? Uh, the Monopoly game study. And I tried to do, try to look all this up ahead of time. This is one of the things I just will never forget for the rest of my life. The Monopoly game, you know, it just describes our society and our system so well. And I'd like to talk a little bit about that. But before I do, Ray, is there anything you want to jump in on? No. I mean, I, I feel like I've said so, so much, and I really want to get deeper into this topic. But I just want to stress something very important that I believe that if you, you know, there's always these kind of cliche sayings in movies and such, but the happiest person in the world, you know, when they talk about mystics and looking into those mirrors that show you yourself, the happiest person in the world would see themselves in the mirror, right? That ideal that if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're content and you are who you are, when wealth comes in, it will bend you. It will, it will shift you. But do you fall into that hole? You know, one thing that's good about gravity is it, it's, it's, it's all about mass. And if something has enough of its own mass, it has the potential to be pulled towards the wealth, 
But as soon as it gets close to it and realizes, not that you have, that gravity has a consciousness, right? But you, if you, if you have your, that you may bounce off, right? You may bounce off of the black hole and go a completely different direction. And I think that does happen in society. The problem is it's not as frequent, right? More likely because this um, system has grown and this monster is so large, it basically, um, it's hard once you get pulled in. Like you said, Michael, these people are not bad people at the top, right? They just got pulled into a dark hole and it was so massive and everyone around them said, yes, this is the way. This is the way. They're like Mandalorians, but the kind you don't want. They said, this is the way, and you're all just stuck in it. And very few people had enough of their own gravitas to repel from it and be something different. But I believe those people that repel from the status quo are also under attack from it constantly. They're not getting into the deals. They're not making it into the room where it happened. They're having to fight tooth and nail with all of their wealth against a collective monster wealth. Yeah, it's, it's complicated, and it's all part of the system. It's it's a great point. Um, everyone's beholden to it. You know, the wealthy, the W two, everybody, you know, in between, and everybody kind of plays their role. But we, as a society, have to step back and say, okay, we're driving this car. We've got an economy. There's an engine in it. The point of the engine is drive us forward, you know. But now we've got people falling off the car. We're running over people. We've got, <laughs> it's a huge mess, and it doesn't even need to be that way. It's like, hey, let's pull over for a half a second, okay? <laughs> let's get the Suburban out. <laughs> we need a bigger car. Whatever we need to do, let's make the change. So what happens is, is now you've got this meritocracy trap is what I think – some i don't know if you were intentionally alluding to it but this idea that um you know some everybody's born in a different caste in society i hate to say it america has a caste system yes you know it, it's there and we can do a whole episode just on the caste system but it's based on zip code it's based on your income bracket there's a, your car. It's a it's yeah it's like a whole industry <laughs> had a caste <laughs> It's called segmentation and everything else, but oh, you can you can have walled communities with no walls uh, with zoning. Anyway, um, long story short, everybody is a part of it, and these meritocratic elites had no idea what part they were playing. And if they're lucky, they wake up, and they may feel a modicum of guilt. If they're not lucky, they just live and die uh, doing whatever it is that those people in their caste do it people are not that different we are all operating with the same hardware right similar software uh in that how it codes itself when we're growing up obviously all of our environments are very different people who grow up rich um their environment precludes them to certain ways of thinking yeah I just want to interject in this point because I have to, because you said something really, uh, which spoke to me, you know, like everyone's the same, right? So what was really interesting to me um, is when the, when the uh, soon to be previous administration uh, was speaking uh, to Bob Woodward, uh, they, they, it was actually said when Woodward said something about being wealthy and having an advantage, the, the president said, Oh, you're really drinking the Kool-Aid, right? But, 
from what I'm used to at the bottom of the barrel here is I thought we said that about the people that went up. Right. So I always felt like, like when you were in, when you were a worker bee and people started to promote or started to talk the company culture, you were like, Oh, you're drinking the Kool-Aid. So it's so strange that we're looking up at the top saying that's Kool-Aid, but then they're looking down at us saying we're in some kind of Kool-Aid. So when you said that, that's why I just run, it's, it's, it sparked in my head. Like, yeah, it's not much different, is it? We're all kind of the same. Our perspective is weird and we're all blaming each other. Yeah, we all have a different view from the same ship. It's like we're all on the Titanic. Some people can see from the steerage, see out the porthole. <laughs> Some people can see from the upper deck, but we're all kind of looking at the same iceberg. <laughs> you say port, but the, the water was in steerage from the very start. So they, they, that was where, because it leaked in oh. you know, from that point. So yeah, they had water and of course the well to do. Oh my God, it's almost a perfect analogy, right? Because they did lock the people in steerage down so that they could make sure that the well-to-do got on the boats first. Titanic's like our economy. Yeah. And the people who were well-to-do only knew about steerage from myths. <laughs> they, never, they never visited it. They didn't like, so just like our society and you were saying earlier, you know, these people, we don't see them. They don't see us. They don't live the life we live. They don't shop where we shop. I don't know if they shop. Who knows what they do, right? They have their own means of transportation. They have their own means of operating in the world. They have people who do everything for them. Like they move through a society and a version of reality that none of us can really fathom. Just know that. I mean, just as much as they will never fathom what it's like to be living in our shoes because it's in a lot of ways it's difficult it's it's more difficult in the way it's difficult in that they don't want to deal with it <laughs> they don't want to deal with what we have to deal with it's probably just laziness <laughs> but all of this okay is just to just to make the point that we're all a bucket of humans we're all a bunch of little small humans climbing around on this soil encrusted rock hurtling through space. And if you've got it in your head that anyone among us is trillions of times more valuable, more smart, more capable, trillions of times more than everyone else, you're drinking the Kool-Aid. You drank it. You drunk it and you are on your way. If you're a smart person... You shouldn't be telling yourself, you know, you shouldn't have to like tell yourself how smart you are here. There's people out there, unfortunately, in our, in our political sphere who talk about being the smartest people they've ever known and, and that they, they understand things better than anybody else. Like you, you should genuinely be afraid uh, of people that think they have it figured out. So uh, that's one thing we'll always ask our listeners to do is keep us honest as we go down this. This is a journey. This is a path. And, and we hope that you'll, be there to call us on it to say, hey, wait a minute, you said this and I'm not sure I understand or I agree with it. Uh, you need to elaborate and we will be accountable to you. You know, if we made a drop in the bucket comment and you say, uh, I want you to speak to that, um, I'm looking forward to that because in a sense, um, the, the only way we're going to get to the true um, 
middle ground is with everybody leaning in, right? You're just, right now you're talking to two bankers who tend to be very ethical in the way we do business and the way we try to conduct our lives. Um, and, but that's our own perspective. Your truth may be different and you may help us see an alternate perspective. And I am vulnerable enough, and I think Michael is vulnerable enough to say that uh, we do not have this figured out. We are looking forward to you to challenge us. So we say things very bold, and we have every intention of backing it up if you decide to come forward. And you will be shocked because when we are wrong, we say we're wrong. And when we are ready to capitulate and find a better way, we, we do it, we move forward. Uh, we try not to move backwards. Thank you, Ray. I think let's have a break. Here's a message from our sponsor, Citizen Do Good. Fulfilling a dream where all possess an intrinsic love for self-rule that is reciprocated with equal justice under the law, Citizen Do Good values all of the amendments of the Constitution along with the original core documents. It all forms a framework and an operating manual for our republic, and it provides the means to change with our times. The time is now to deeply re-examine our current implementation of governance for the dawning of a new day. We are a proud sponsor of Citizens Prerogative, a major partner in spreading the good work about civic love and the power of change for us all. Check out citizendogood.com where you can join our newsletter to stay current on our latest efforts, support us through Patreon, and go ahead and shop our wares. It's easy win for you and the whole of our republic. Thank you. And thank you to our listeners, and thank you to everyone who has leaned into the conversation. I also want to do a shout out to citizendogood.com, or rather Citizen Do Good on their Facebook page, did acknowledge the major problem we have in the Native American uh, communities and a huge deficiency. Uh, Citizen Do Good is not going to make a ton of official statements this early, but I was proud to see that. And uh, that's why I'm proud to be a part of Citizen Do Good. In particular, my organization that I had, Civic Sphere, is very proud to be a project of Citizen Do Good and proud to be part of this community that we're growing. So let's, uh, let's pivot a little bit because I just looked at the time and we'll be close to wrapping up here soon. <laughs> uh, we, we talked about wealth and poverty. We, are, we believe in capitalism and all of that. Capitalism is a means to an end. Capitalism is not an ends, right? Wealth and poverty are ends. Being wealthy is a somewhat relatively end state, being in poverty is relatively end state. Of course, they can some change. Um, but wealth and poverty are like a state of being, whereas capital and labor are a means of facilitating things. Just like money. Um, I try to equate capital with money as much as possible, right? And uh, labor is pretty obvious. It's some kind of um, pay for time, somebody's time to do something could even be you know knowledge work it doesn't have to be physical work but basically you have people who have the money they have the capital and then you have people who are willing to perform skills uh, to get something accomplished and so being able to utilize those two things in an ecosystem but to to facilitate 
trade and what would I, people would generally call progress. That's capitalism. Wealth and poverty as old as Western civilization. Civilization. Um, those aren't necessarily new, but how we manage wealth and poverty, the inequality, is big. And uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's f it's a fine enough system to say, hey, this person's better at distributing capital than others, so maybe they should have access to more wealth to do to return more value with that wealth. I think there's an argument to be made there. That's great. Does that mean there should be people who can't afford to eat? No, that doesn't make sense. There should be a floor, right? We're not going to talk about a basic income or supplemental income or any of those things yet. Um, but think about the idea that, you know, there could be a floor, there could easily be a floor because there's more than enough money available to give people a floor and still have an economy where people can be wealthy to a certain degree. We have to decide though what level of inequality is acceptable. It's a moral choice. It's a decision. It's not just the way things are, okay? Things are the way we made them. So let's remake them so that it's more equal. We can have difference if, if we find there's motivation in that. We, we tend to use that when we look at markets and market systems, right? You use differences to motivate things, arbitrage, whatever terminology you want to use. You need that dynamoism, dynamism, right? So, yeah, capitalism's great, and it's a means to an end, and, you know, it's a great tool, one of many tools to solve problems. But now it's not got hung up on the idea that we all need to become crazy rich, uh, that doesn't really make much sense. It's not sustainable and it's just unnecessary. At some point, these people have way more money than they know anything to do with. And why does it make sense for them to be sitting on that money when there are people starving? There are people starving. I'm going to stop. So I don't know how much about capital and labor we want to talk about, but we probably should talk a little bit about solutions and solutions solutions i mean you i don't know if we want to go into basic income and such but what i think that what no what i think what what we really have to look at as as a society is that just ask yourself for your family your friends you know whomever matters in your life if nobody matters in your life then just your dog okay just pretend your dog is a human because a lot of people that don't have any human friends have dog friends so ask your cats or your dogs if you passed on what would you want what's the minimum expectation of life so and i'm not even asking this as just like a socialism matter we're asking this um citizens prerogative is asking this as a matter of life liberty and the pursuit of happiness so if i asked you how much money the government needs to give you per month so you can secure those for four things so how much is life worth how much is liberty worth and how much is the pursuit of happiness worth? And it's going to be different for everyone. The question is, what is the common level of pursuit of happiness? Because if we give a basic income to an artist, if we give an artist $2,000 a month that they can turn around and afford their apartment and thus create additional art, which then 
which then creates a stronger society, a stronger economy, because all of that art starts to turn into something, right? I, I hate to say it, but, you know, individuals like J.K. Rowling, even though she has a bit of a transphobia issue in my, in my understanding so far, she was on food stamps and created an, a masterpiece, which has generated billions of economic activity, you cannot deny it. And what, what I struggle with with the wealthy who are holding on to power is what are they so afraid of? When has giving the masses more resulted in the wealthy losing? If, if a trajectory or trending shows anything is that the wealthy continue to become increasingly more wealthy and on insane scales. Now, granted... Let's put it in perspective. A t first class ticket on the Titanic was about $75,000, okay? Roughly $75,000 in today's money. That is insane, but that was what was going on is that you had your wealthy individuals. Those folks didn't go away. Those families are still there. It's just that those ticket prices and such, we're not seeing them because there's no steerage class, right? You're either on a carnival cruise or you're on something that nobody knows about. <laughs> it's exclusive, right? Yeah. yeah. You're on your friend's boat. They'll invite you. I think when you get to a certain level of wealth, they come find you. You're not- it's all house and parties. The, and the strange thing is, is like the wealthy also seem to get perks, like a lot of perks. Come. It's, it's oh. this weird dynamic where the system is, is, is just- symbiont but if you dropped it just a level it's almost like you all rise together and i've got to find the graphic michael but it's i it always spoke to me there was this old graphic from the turn of the century and it had the tiers of class like you said we have a caste system and it is there and it had the it had the the people at the bottom which said we work for you the next people at the level said we dine for you and the people at the top say we I can't remember what the people at the top were. It was something grandiose, right? But it was basically all these classes stacked on top. And there were like three levels above. Um, so I'll try to find that image so we can put it out in a blog. But I think wrapping all this up, the solution is that we already have a system like Medicare and Medicaid that is out there. I, I do believe the solution is that obviously had a measured impact. And that's a system that we should re-examine and invest in. It's the great leap forward. So I think what Citizens Prerogatives point is, is that we are trying to organize and figure out what is the minimum standard so we can tell our government. It's never been the government. It's always been the people that tell the government what we need. I've never seen an instance, and please correct us fact checkers and listeners, when has the government ever done something out of the generosity of their own heart? No, it's one of those individuals you described earlier that saw the, they had a long view of the arc. They knew there was a black hole and they were able to slingshot it, right? And, but people who don't have the perspective don't have a long enough view, maybe. 
you know, they a, don't they don't do it. Well, there's a reason Bill Gates is being dragged through the Q theories, right? Which we don't like uh, subscribing to those. We try not to mention that, but that stuff is is unfortunately becoming per- pervasively dangerous, and it continues to grow. But the issue is that again, Q theory is meant to pit people against each other. It is meant to um, there. Bill Gates is part of that because he is not part of the mass that wants to keep you locked down. He is, he is investing in education. He's investing in new technologies for driverless, which is gonna free us from our car jails. He is working on all these things that are against the status quo. And again, those people living in their, their castles and walls look over and say, why isn't, why isn't he part of the club? He's so rich, he should be part of the club. Mm-hmm. And he's not. No, it's right because they're yeah they're they're a bunch of different people too. They're a bunch of snowflakes. They just happen to have absurdly outsized power and freedom for reasons. I mean, I'm not saying it's for no reason. We know why you can trace the reasons. That doesn't justify it. You know, the system. We all know the system is established and built to achieve certain results, and unfortunately, the greater good is not at the center of it. And that's one of the things we need to do is is start remaking and rethinking with the greater good at the center, with society at the center. Like if we if we took this on as as a group of humans now that we can acknowledge we're a group of humans <laughs> and we want a better life and we don't want to be hungry and we don't want to be ignorant and we don't want to be sick. You know, we we wanna be free from these things. And lo and behold, we have the capacity, we have the capability, and we have the money to do all of those things for everybody to free people so that they can pursue their happiness. And one of the risks is that some people may not choose to join the capitalist system or more people would be free to potentially run for political office, you know, or maybe there would be more people available to do scientific research and heaven forbid if somebody else had the next great breakthrough and it wasn't a part of my brand or who knows i honestly can't say i know what some of the forces are that hold it all together just know that it's complicated and it's many facets and it's many perspectives that are holding everything together but it is all very self-interested and it all's rooted in greed um what i'd like to do is have us envision the future (laughs) closer to star trek i mean we won't be there tomorrow, but but we can start thinking in the idea of like, okay, well, capitalism is a thing, and if you're into it, you can participate in it. But my pursuit of happiness, my my means to eat, to learn, to grow, and participate in life and in our society should not be beholden to my participation in capitalism. We should not be born into capitalism the way it is today, right? I think it should be a choice. Like you were saying, if you want to be an artist, well, sometimes to make the best art, you aren't necessarily seeking capitalist aims or means or ends, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe profit isn't the number one motivation for you to write your masterpiece or paint your masterpiece or whatever it is, or study the very detailed thing about a bug that people haven't studied yet for the sake of expanding knowledge. How wonderful life would be if everyone was free to pursue their intellectual pursuits. 
And I bet there would still be plenty of people to participate in the capital economy. Plenty of people who want to go after that wealth, who aren't satisfied with just eating and just learning and just creating art. There are some people who always want to be in the race, and that's fine. That is a success strategy. We can make that available, but why does everybody have to do it? They are. They can move to Ferenginar if they, they want to participate in a capitalist system. If we're talking Star Trek, move them to Ferenginar. The Ferengi will love you. I, I think that, and it's, I'm kind of upset at you, Michael, because you actually beat me to the punch because I was going to try to reference Star Trek, but in a very different way. But I think it's important that we all know, right? We've proven that money doesn't need to be tied to gold. It doesn't need to be tied to any asset, right? We've proven that we can push, um, we can push the debt into trillions of dollars and it just doesn't really have any effect right so it behooves to ask why do we even have money why does it even exist and and again our nation is in debt because we're paying somebody interest for the debt so the capitalist system is actually quite damaging because this national debt we have is costing us money it's it's compounding and it's got interest and we're, we're taking loans against ourselves and the you have to is, use it like a tool sparingly right like nuclear uh, uh power is great but there is waste <laughs> right, right. You, you've got to manage it and and i think we're a little out of balance we're definitely out of balance and that's the thing is like i said you said it again is that maybe we don't maybe the money doesn't go away, right? Again, citizen's prerogative is not really interested in, in what exactly the end game is until we talk to a lot of people. Um, but what we are definitely interested in is that when the constitution was set up, there weren't supposed to be taxes. <laughs> there were all these new rules, these different rules about what the pursuit of happiness was. And, and having land and having the ability to, to uh, take your, your family to the next level and making sure they're safe I think that's all it is in that. So, so for you to achieve happiness, I do believe that you would want a roof over your head. You'd want your children to have a roof over their head and everybody's having a meal. Um, and that's really what we're talking about. We're not talking about distribution. Um, uh, although I think that when people die, it's time to distribute, but that is my opinion. Again, it, we have to decide what's good for society, but it behooves us to ask this economy, which was so good to that wealthy person, when they pass, they can't take it with them. So why not return it back to the economy, achieve the best life, a comfortable life for yourself, and then you, you give it back. Even in nature, when a tree dies in the forest and falls to the ground, it returns to the earth it returns to the other plants and animals around it and we just have to be a little more human a little more naturistic we need to be a little more um sustainable a hundred percent and and have a transparent system we all trust in because it's like if it wasn't this rat race this greedy grab catch all winner take all weird system people wouldn't even feel like they couldn't give that up like because they're worried their family isn't going to have enough right we were talking about inheritance earlier i think you and i will end up agreeing on a couple of points around it because who's to say the children of that individual maybe that that individual was really good at allocating capital returning value with the capital well, who's to say that their children are good at that? Why do they automatically get 
to control that capital, right? The means of society to be able to progress. That doesn't make sense logically. I mean, if they've demonstrated themselves, well, then they already have capital. They don't need the inheritance. Right. We, <laughs> we see that in corporate life cycles too. You know, Walt Disney Corporation, the ambitious program for uh, the the Anna, uh, sorry, the uh, Orlando project. When they did that, they were going to build a fully self-sustaining city of the future. So I think that you think about what you do with your social capital. And that's a good example that, again, Disney Corporation, once it was handed off, the, the bearers of that social capital, that, that actual enterprise capital, what did they do with it? They scaled it down and they whitewashed it for corporations. Hmm. The vision was lost. We have to end there. Thank you, Ray. For information on this and other episodes, head over to citizendogood.com and click on podcast. While you're there, register to log in and leave a comment. We'd love to hear from the community. If you don't want to register, you can always access our Contact Us page. We've been your hosts. Thank you to Mr. Raymond Wong Jr. And thank you, Michael Piscatelli. It has been rich, but not wealthy. It's been something for sure. I I love talking about this topic with you. I think all of season two is going to be this topic. (laughs) Ah, Special thanks to you, our listeners. We save the best for last. You are the best and have been for years. Thank you for your support. We know it's painful and we love you. Intro music sampled from OK Class by Ozzy Jock under Creative Commons license through freemusicarchive.org. Other music provided royalty free through Fizzly and Studios, Inc.